0: cliffcentral.com.
1: Jordan Hill Lewis is 35 years old, which is pretty young for the position that he's got. That's what people keep telling him, although it seems that he, he may uh, ever, and we'll find out from him in a moment or two, whether so many of our politicians aren't too old for some of the jobs that they have been in occupation of for some time. He uh, went to uh, Edgemead High School, obtained an honors degree in politics, philosophy, and economics from UCT. Uh, He got a master's in finance, specializing in economic policy from London University, and he is a husband to his wife, Carla, a father to his six-year-old daughter. And of course, we know him as the mayor of Cape Town, but he became politically active during his high school years, during his studies at the University of Cape Town. I mean, you have to at UCT, right? If you're not political at UCT, I don't think you get a degree. Um, he also founded the Democratic Alliance's student organization there, DASO. He also worked as a chief of staff in the office of the former Western Cape Premier and probably one of the most successful politicians in the country, Helen Ziller. In 2011, he was elected as a member of parliament in the National Assembly, becoming the youngest MP there, too, at 24 years old. During his time in the National Assembly, he served on lots of portfolios, such as trade, industry, and finance, and most recently, served as the Shadow Minister of Finance. And on the 18th of November, just last year, he was inaugurated as the youngest mayor in Cape Town's history. He is my guest today. Mayor, it's good to have you on. Thank you very much for making time for us.
0: Thank you very much, Gareth. It's really nice to meet you, uh, even electronically for the first time. Uh, And great thanks for the invitation. It's great to be with you.
1: Thank you so much. There's a lot to get into and I know, you know, it's taken us a while to kind of get this going because you have been so busy. But if I can just go straight into, you know, the, the, the major stuff that everybody wants to know. Um you've taken over as mayor, you've been there in the in the position for some time now, almost a year. Uh how's the job going and what have been your biggest challenges? Are you regretting taking the job? Um and what do you what do you still have earmarked as your big audacious hairy goal?
0: I, I must say I'm absolutely loving the job. I'm not regretting for a second. I genuinely think, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it makes sense for me to say this, but I really think this is true that it may be one of the coolest jobs in South African politics. Uh, it's, so sometimes I still have to pinch myself, uh, about, about, you you know, having the opportunity to do something really meaningful, uh, that gives me a, a great sense of purpose. I think it's important for the city. If we get a few things right, some of those big, hairy, audacious goals that you're speaking about, I think it's important for the country as well. Uh, and we've got a great civil service here, professional people who are interested in getting good things done for South Africa, for the city. Uh, so it's a pleasure to work with them. So I'm loving it. Uh, the it's 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 you know it's tough on the family, Gareth. I'll, I'll be honest. There's a lot of the diary is manic. Uh, that's why it's taken a while to to secure a slot with you and uh, and so i've got to be careful and and be quite disciplined about carving time out to to make sure that i can spend enough time with them but other than that i am loving it it is it is a really really great job uh, and and uh, on the big hairy audacious goals i mean i think the we've got to push way beyond what local governments have traditionally been been uh, focusing on and doing in, in South Africa over the last couple of decades, because a decade and a half ago, most of the basic public services worked. Uh, over the last 10, 10 years or so, just over 10 years, there has been a remarkable uh, collapse in public services around South Africa. And so we can, you know, we can put up our hands and say, well, that's not our remit. Or we can say you know we'll be creative within the law within the the searching every nook and cranny of the Constitution to enable us to do more uh, on those things and so obviously the one that that annoys every one of us and and makes our blood boil every day, and we're more than that more than just annoying which which fundamentally kneecaps and and cripples our our economy is of course load shedding, and so we have set very ambitious goals to to properly uh, be done with load shedding in Cape Town over the next few years, and I think we're going well. That's not the only uh, ambitious or audacious goal that we've we want to take control of the, the passenger city, uh, that is probably slightly longer term uh, goal, be- partly because it relies so much on, on cooperation from the national transport minister uh, and the passenger rail authority. Uh, but but still, one that we are, we, you know, we're not going to stop pushing on. Uh, so we do right. have ambitious goals, but I think they are right for for Cape Town and where South Africa is at right now.
1: So, Jordan, I mean, the the Eskom load shedding situation, which you've you've just gone into, was one of the big things I wanted to tackle today, and and you've decided that you'd actually like to get Cape Town off that grid. Um, is that is that possible? Um, how how difficult is it going to be? I know that there. There are lots of people who are very excited about the fact that you're allowing independent power producers and even ordinary citizens to feed some power into the into the grid. But obviously, this requires enormous uh, infrastructural expenditure. It's going to take a long time to get it going. And we all know in politics, people go for the quick yeah. wins. This is not a quick win. This is a tough one. Um, are you confident that before you exit the stage as mayor you'll be able to say this is one that you can tick off because it's, it's definitely going to take a huge amount of energy, money, and time.
0: Uh, Gareth, the, I am confident. I am confident. I, I think that, uh, firstly, let me just say, we are not trying to get off the ESCOM grid altogether. It, that'll take a very long time. Uh, Cape Town uses too much energy to completely separate, cut those purse uh, or apron strings, rather, from, hmm. uh, from ESCOM. Uh, but what we are trying to do is make up enough of the shortfall so that we can end load shedding in the city. And I'm not interested, or, I'm, or rather, I'm far less interested in quick wins than I am in uh, those wins that are going to meaningfully move the dial uh, for our economy, for our cities, so that we can, you know, actually make a positive difference. Uh, you know, South Africa, we just don't have time for mm. politicians to focus only on quick wins. We, we, the, the situation is too serious. Uh, so we are pursuing it. There's a whole lot of uh, kind of legs to this, this stool, this end load shedding stool, if you will. And one of them is independent power. One of them is is utility scale storage. One of them is expanding uh, st- our steel brass pump storage scheme. One of them is something called demand control, which we've just been out to market for a couple of days ago, two days ago. Once all of these things come together over the next few years, I really do believe that we can, uh, we can say goodbye to at least stage four or five load shedding at higher stages when, you know, if South Africa is still experiencing stage six, seven or eight load shedding in the years ahead, well, there's probably little that we can do to protect uh residents against that, the full scale of that catastrophe. But what we can do is make sure that even if it gets to that, we are still on stage one or two then uh, because we are protecting against four or five stages of load shedding. So that is our kind of, De- how we're defining success over the next four years the, uh, you, you rightly said it's nearly a year finished already so yeah. over the next four years to to if we can get to stage four or five protection we will say that uh, mission accomplished but also you will see an enormous enormous uh, localized boom in the in the uh, cape town and western cape economy and that ultimately is the purpose to achieve that kind of breakout growth to show, that your choices in government, your choices in who you put into government really do make a difference for your future chances in life.
1: Well, uh, all power to you. And I, I mean that both truly and figuratively and ironically. Um, I, I also think that, you know, anyone who isn't thinking about that as the single biggest problem in South Africa at the moment is is definitely not paying attention. But there's something, some people will say there's a bit of a yes. softball question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You know, it seems to me that we we live in a country where the the DA, particularly in the Western Cape and in Cape Town, is held to a very high standard by everybody. Everybody says, oh, well, you know, the DA isn't perfect in Cape Town. They don't, for example, you know, there's uh, there's still a lack of housing. There are informal settlements. There's a huge disparity between this neighborhood and that neighborhood. But they don't hold the ANC to the same account in any municipality that the ANC runs. And it seems like uh, Cape Town is always a target for these kinds of um, hypocrisies really there's no other way to put it Um, because we've also become so used to judging the ANC you know with with, with a complete inability to look for anything that resembles con- competence of any kind do you feel that that you are under particular scrutiny especially by those people who seem to have a different set of standards for the DA probably because they just don't like them uh, in the media very often that's the case um, and and do you think that that's a real thing, or do you think it's just something that uh, that that you complain about and your supporters complain about?
0: Oh no, no, it's it's definitely a, a real thing, but I, I can't say that it gets under my skin very much. I mean, you know, Cape Town is a rapidly urbanizing city in a developing world context with. About eight hundred thousand uh, taxpayers, ratepayers, in a population of four point eight million residents, we have got all of the same problems that developing world cities in in uh, high poverty context have all over the world. We have a thousand problems. So the idea that we should this we should be this kind of utopian blissful uh, place of perfection is is laughable. It just it just uh, you know demonstrates a a kind of lack of analytical insight from from those who try to advance that that argument or that position of course there are massive problems of poverty in cape town and all of the problems that come with poverty and that is exactly why we are trying to achieve that breakout growth but that's that difference in standards is def or or uh, you know being held to a different standard is definitely there uh, maybe some of it is, is, is our own doing because we, we obviously like to talk about our successes. Uh, but it, it really isn't getting under my skin. It's not keeping me up at night. What keeps me up at night is how we can address the dramatic institutional, uh, collapse of nearly every major and basic service in, uh, South Africa and what we can do about it where we have the leverage to do something about it here.
1: Yeah, I mean, you do have a singular advantage in that you don't need to, largely because of the hard work that was put in by Helen Ziller when she was still tr- trying to cobble together coalitions in the very beginning. And and to her credit, successfully sure. so. You, you were part of her administration then. We were talking on the show just the other day about how so many coalitions in any other part of the country seem to fall apart. Luckily now, your advantage is that you have a pre- pretty solid mandate from the citizens of Cape Town. Uh, which must, must get under the skin of the opposition parties, but there's really nothing they can do about it until they can challenge you in terms of actual delivery. Because really, that's yeah. all we want from mayors. That's all we want from local councillors. That's all we want from our municipalities is just service delivery. We don't really want to be your best yeah. friend. And, I, you know, you're probably a very, very nice guy. And I'm sure, you know, your wife would speak of your good character. But most of your residents probably won't meet you and don't care to. They really just want someone who can do the job. Um, and, and that seems to be something that yeah. Cape Town is doing better than any other part of the country on an objective basis. So this brings me to a question that you guys always have to deal with. How do you field the ac- accusation that you only care about the rich residents of Cape Town, those 400,000 who pay taxes? Um, you know, when people say, oh, well, you get into the, into the city by the airport and you have to drive through – You know, some pretty rough neighborhoods, some places that while there are improvements, certainly over the last couple of years, I've seen those improvements with my own eyes. People say, oh, well, you know, those people still live really, really badly compared to the people who live on the very rich side of town.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to join those two questions together, I would say that, uh, you know, good governance makes a difference in people's lives. And it makes a difference particularly for the poorest residents. Uh, If you look on every single metric of human development and quality of life, that, that matters. Uh, people are better off in places where there is good, solid government that pays attention to the financial basics, that uh, delivers and invests in infrastructure, that cares about safety. And so, uh, I, I absolutely do regard it as uh, something of a luxury and a blessing to have a majority government in, in Cape Town, now the only metro other than East London, I think, that that has a majority government. But at the same time, that, that absolutely does exist because of the work of uh, previous DA mayors in the city, starting with Helen, who have done good work to invest in those basic services, uh, to invest in that social safety net for the poorest residents who can't afford basic services, and particularly in recent times, to invest literally billions of rands in keeping people safer, because uh, you know, on on the Cape Flats, uh, crime and gangsterism is a is a really the, a primary concern for every resident in the, in 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 those parts of our city, and showing real progress. You know, if you recently a month ago, uh, Becky Tsele released the national crime statistics. There were only ten places where crime went down. Out of the top 30 stations in the country, nine of those were in Cape Town. And all of them, all nine of those were places where uh, we have done our additional safety law enforcement deployments in the city of Cape Town, as uh, working with our, our colleagues in the provincial government as well. Uh, and it's really working. It's, you know, that we can now actually show hundreds, if not thousands of lives saved as a result of those interventions. And I think over time, as you say, it's not about uh, who the, the personality of the person in charge. It's not about who they look like or, or what they sound like, what language they speak. It is about getting the job done and, and improving people's lives, and people will reward that in a democracy over time.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fairly unassailable point of view, and, and it seems to it seems to work. Now, what about semigration? You know, there's there's there are two kinds of. of constant migration into the western cape which need addressing and the last time i think it was helen addressed it she got lambasted on social media but then anything gets lambasting on social media these days so that's not really much of a mark um you've got very wealthy people or people who have the means who are moving into cape town because it is to their mind run better um, and perhaps objectively run better and then there are people who are desperately poor, who are coming from other parts of the country who have nothing and are and are looking at the Western Cape and going, that is my best shot at getting a job, improving my life, living a little bit better than wherever it is they might come from. And very many of those people are coming from the Eastern Cape, uh, some from, from farther flung parts of the country. How do you respond to that as a mayor and how do you manage to incorporate these people into a city which does have finite resources?
0: So if you've put your finger on on what is absolutely uh, i I really think it's a it's a blessing as well, and i'll come to why that is in a moment but uh, but it is undoubtedly one of the greatest pressures that the city faces uh, growing mm-hmm. informality as a result of uh, people streaming to our city in search of employment overwhelmingly in search of employment because they know they don't need to read Stats South Africa statistics to know that uh, employment is about 15% lower here than than the rest of the country, and and so you've got the best opportunity. Uh, unemployment is still far too high at, at 26% or 27% in Cape Town, but you've got the best chance of, of finding work uh, uh, in a city like this. Uh, mm-hmm. What you've got to do is you've got to keep ahead of that curve in investing in infrastructure. That's the only way that you can support the growth of the city. Uh, and And the problem is that while Cape Town has been in, investing in infrastructure in the years past, it has not that investment curve has not kept up with the population growth curve in the city and so there 's actually been a, a gap opening up, and you can feel that pressure on our infrastructure on our roads on on uh, particularly with the collapse of the rail system but, you know roads have really become under massive pressure, but also on our water system on our on our sewer system, and so on and so uh, you know, if I if I just put my economist hat back on, it's not. It might not be sexy politics, but the failure of infrastructure investment explains so much of South Africa's uh, malaise right now. And so, in Cape Town, we have to push harder on on basic infrastructure investment and really push down on the accelerator pedal on on all of that infrastructure to support the number of people coming to our city. Of course, where it's it's also a blessing is that we are in a position, firstly, we're in a position to be able to invest, so we have the money to do so. If you try to do an investment program in in Johannesburg and Tshwane and Kuraleni and Etikwini, you just can't do it because there's no there's no cash, there's no money. We have the financial muscle to do it because of years of of careful, prudent financial management. Also, we are in the, I think, unique position among South African cities that at least we have a growing rate base. So we do still have a growing number of people coming to the city who are uh, paying rates to support and cross subsidise that infrastructure investment and basic service delivery to to the poorest. If I look at the and I, I, I look carefully at the budgets of of other cities in South Africa to to study and and compare what's going on. You will see in every major city declining rate bases, and so either you have to raise the the, the actual tax rate so that you can uh, keep your revenues steady, or you've got to cut expenditure, uh, and that that really explains so much of the terrible difficulty that so many of our of our major cities in South Africa are in. In Cape Town, we have a rising uh, rate base. We also have a growing population, and we just have to make sure that we keep that infrastructure investment curve ahead of that population curve.
1: Yeah, you know, Jordan, it's just such an unglamorous job. I mean, they do give you that mayoral chain, which is kind of, you know, an, an, an almost um, anachronistic and, 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 and bizarre accoutrement of the job. But everything else about it is completely lacking in glamour. I mean, you have to get gumboots on and go wading through sewage. You have to greet and meet people from all corners of your city and hopefully address their issues. Some of them hate you. Some of them love you. Uh, some of them are completely apathetic and ambivalent. It, it's, it's not a, it's not a fun job. And you started off by saying you're enjoying the job, which is unbelievable. Do you think that there is a, a kind of public servant that we have in South Africa and not just in your party, but perhaps across the board, um, and that we have enough of them to be able to do and enjoy these jobs because it doesn't look like a lot of our other mayors are having a good time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, so let me say I, I it's not spin I genuinely do love the job and I do think it is fun uh, but but maybe I'm just a weird kind of person I am motivated by a, a very strong sense of of having to feel like what I'm doing is is meaningful making some kind of positive contribution whether that be uh, you know having a uh, a really good public discourse and and debate about an important issue or about getting something done on the ground. this job allows you the leverage the 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 the, the ability to do both of those and 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 I think that's very personally rewarding so I do think it is uh fun i don 't particularly care about the accoutrements of office um and and uh and and so on it's a you know i I do love it, but I do agree with your but your basic point that it is tough to make a case for public service in South Africa. And, and the place that I see this most is in the civil service. Actually, in Cape Town, we are really blessed. I think this is actually our, our secret weapon is that we still have a professionalized civil service that has not been destroyed by CADA deployment, uh, in, in the way that the rest of South Africa's civil service has been. But, but when, when I just look at the incentives to go into the public service in South Africa, compared to going into to the private sector it's a really tough case to make and i see the the uh, the, the kind of brand problem that that working in south african government has for talented young professionals who say i can't possibly get advancement in the civil service because of my race because of my language or whatever i don't have friends i don't know people uh or uh, even if I do get a a my foot on the first rung of the ladder uh it's going to be terribly stressful and and not rewarding at all because of all this uh, you know terrible regulation and legislation uh community anger and so on so it's a tough case to make and I just really hope that part of what we want to do a hopefully a kind of tangential benefit is that if we can build a real success story in Cape Town and achieve that breakout growth that we're trying to achieve that people s- sit up and say actually hang on this is possible uh in 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 Joburg or and maybe I should go and help contribute to that and uh, and give a couple of my of my good years to to trying to get that done Maybe that's too ambitious, but it's worth trying.
1: You know, if, if, if two people heard you saying that and decided to go into the civil service, into government, into municipalities and make a difference, then you, you're probably doing a good thing there. And I would be very grateful if those people are out there and they do join, whichever party they may come from. So let's just talk quickly about Johannesburg. You know, you've brought it up. Um, it's a, it's an issue close to, to, to my heart and many of our listeners. We live in, in this part of the world. I know that you Capetonians seem to sometimes, um, uh disapprove of the fact that we live in a much less beautiful part of the country, but we are the engine of the economy. And your colleague, um, Popalatse was ousted very dramatically the end of last month. And uh, now she says she's still the mayor, but there's a whole lot of back and forth going on. There's a court case that's coming up. How do you feel about this, looking at it from the outside? And have you been in contact with her at all? And, and, and what would you like to see happen in Joburg?
0: Yeah, I have been in contact with her to to share commiserations. I must say, uh, it's heartbreaking. I, I, as a South African, uh, I mean, as a as a mayor in Cape Town and as a professional here, my my day is completely consumed with the problems of Cape Town. And so, it's a I have to. One of the risks of being in this job is that you go into a Cape Town bubble and you get disconnected from national politics. But I try uh, really to keep up with what's going and uh, what's going on in the north of the country. And uh, as a South African, uh, it's a heartbreak to see that that government collapsed last week. Uh, mm. I was very excited for the proof of concept for a workable, big multi-party, I think 11 parties or 10 parties in that particular one, uh, that it could be sustainable, that it could be stable, that it could start to claw its way out of the deep financial and infrastructural and service delivery hole that that city is in, and that it could start to make Progress, forward momentum. Uh, not only for the city of Joburg, but of course with my eye on, on the national picture for, for 2024 and, and beyond. Uh, so it's, it, no one, no one can, can possibly celebrate the, the disintegration of that, of that coalition. I must say I work, uh, with some of those, those smaller parties who are responsible for that coalition collapsing here in Cape Town. And I see some of the same, uh, completely myopic, uh, provincial selfish trends in, in some of those parties here as well. Uh, just without any bigger picture view of what it means for the country or what it means for the future of the city or, or citizens in the city. Uh, and so that's very disappointing. Uh, and I just hope that we can rest it away, back away from the ANCS and the, uh, their coalition partners who are now the patriotic alliance. Um, and that we can wrest it away from them as as soon as possible, and try and rebuild that that coalition agreement.
1: I mean, do you do you think that these small parties actually help or hinder the 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 improvement and the progress of of cities in particular? This is your area of expertise. Um, because as much as I gave credit to Helen earlier, she really had to uh, keep a lot of different constituencies very well balanced and make sure that she handed out the right goodies to the right people. And I don't mean corruption. Mm -hmm. I just mean that everybody needs to be taken into consideration when big, big decisions are made. And there are positions that certain people are, are jockeying for. Um, and a lot of this, the small party politics in this country seems to me to be around certain people just having a a, a paycheck. I mean, you know, God bless him, but Bantu Holomisa seems to me to be a, a one man show. That's just interested in living out his days on the benches. Um, same goes for Mosiwa Lakota, you could say. Uh, the same goes for many of the smaller parties. Do they get in your way? Um, and, and how much politeness and incorporation do you have to, to do with these smaller parties? Um, it, it must be fairly difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, mean, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush. There's a couple of them who see themselves as, as political professionals. They actually have, Issues that they care about and principles that they care about, and they you know, they're willing to compromise in a uh in a uh multi party democracy a plural democracy but they they have a clear set of values and basically stick to it but then there's a whole nother collection of them, a clutch of them where it is literally just about employment it is about what they can get out of it uh and they will sell their votes to the highest bidders. They will give away everything for a cell phone contract, literally as as petty and, and small as that. And that is just then of course they don't help at all. It's it's a massive hindrance. I still believe though that uh you know South Africa's future for the foreseeable future is going to be one of extremely complex and probably unstable coalitions. So as unpleasant and difficult and messy and tricky as it is, we have to find a way of making them work uh without the anc if 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 at all possible and that means collecting uh, this enormous uh, and varied collection of of uh, has beans and also rands and and so mm-hmm. on along with those parties who who stand for something clear and yeah. who do see themselves as professionals uh and so it's it's going to be extremely difficult but there are a number of them that are real hindrances
1: so another big thing that you have to contend with and that all mayors have to contend with um, some of them more successfully than others is this constant friction between the national government and the national budget. And then obviously the smaller provincial budgets, the smaller provincial governments, and then of course the municipal governments and how much authority you have in places like policing and transport, both of which you've already alluded to. Um, when you talk about how you'd like to become more, you know, um, self-sustaining, you talk about power, you talk about transport s- solutions, you talk about even policing, community policing, whatever it might be. Um, these things don't make the national government very comfortable. Why do you think that is? Surely they should be happy if you're handling your business so that they can focus on other things. Or is it, is it just because it's showing them up in so much of the, 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 the situation that we've seen?
0: Yeah. Look, I, I appreciate that it makes them very uncomfortable, but the fact of the matter is that they are not capable currently of delivering any of those services. There's not a single basic public service on which the public uh, depends every day, and particularly the poorest of our of our citizens and residents depend every day. That actually functions, not the post office, not the police, not the uh, our national ports and harbors, not our trains, nothing. Mm. Not home affairs, nothing. You know, I could keep going. It is it is in a state of advanced collapse. And so, uh, so you, you know, I really just believe that we have to push into all of those unexplored parts of our, of our uh, constitutional order where we've never really tested what those phrases, those words, those clauses mean and what they truly empower us to do as local government. Because, as I said, a decade ago, all of these things basically uh, functioned, or 15 years ago, at least a decade and a half ago. These things basically function; they don't anymore. And so, I have no doubt it makes them uncomfortable. I agree with you. Actually, I think that if if I was in a position of having all of these incredible burdens and obvious, spectacular displays of of, of one's own failure on display for all to see, mm-hmm. I would jump at the chance to get those burdens off my own back and and hand them over to someone else and say, right, you know, you go and you you want to deal with it, then fine, deal with it. And we would, of course, jump yeah. at that chance as well and say, and say, let us do that. So I think there's just some, some good old-fashioned territorialism and empire-protecting uh, uh, happening. And the idea that if you, if you allow that damn wall to break, then really you are confessing your own spectacular failure and uh, showing what uh, a, an epic failure in government uh, you, being the ANC, of course, have been. Uh, in in the national sphere. So uncomfortable as they may be, we're going to keep pushing and and I think that we will win. The reason that I think we will win two reasons, two reasons that I think we actually could win. Firstly, there is there is a growing realization, even if it is just in the dark of night alone alone in bed, there is a growing realization by some of our national ministers that these things are not fixable. They they are they are past the point of no return. Uh, and so when I see uh, Fakila Mbalula, whose uh, you know shortcomings and foibles are, are manifest and manifold for all to see, but when he says uh, in the National Assembly and in a written cabinet minute that uh, he supports the devolution of the rail system to Cape Town, I don't think that that's because he's being farsighted and and enlightened in policy. I think that's because he knows that it is not fixable anymore, uh, and, and that uh, there's nothing really further that they, they can do about it. Uh, the second reason is that because the Constitution supports the, 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 the so-called devolution of powers to provincial and local level, it's, it's clearly and firmly supported in the Constitution, continuously refusing to allow that to happen in the face of overwhelming evidence that says you can't deliver it and they can. Is, is actually irrational. And, and therefore you have to defend that irrationality in court at some point. And you have to show why, uh, you know, why this is rational, but it clearly isn't. And so I, I do think we can, we can steadily build up a case that says, firstly, we can take this problem off your hand because you can't fix it. And secondly, if you refuse to allow that to happen, well, actually your decision looks more and more irrational and, and you actually need to have a rational legal basis for such a decision
1: right so what do you need in cape town to hit those big hairy audacious goals we spoke about at the beginning obviously more money would be handy but there's a limit to what a country like ours can give in terms of money you'd like some foreign direct investment no doubt because that'll help you to pay for some of the things that you want to to do but besides money what do we need do we need more engineers do we need people who have the ability to plan five ten years in advance Do we need more people to establish their businesses in Cape Town? Uh, What do we need? More wine farms? (laughs) You know, what what exactly do you require in order to take things up a level?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Firstly, I want everyone to know that uh, the civil service here is different to the civil service elsewhere in South Africa. Here you will be judged on your merit, your ability to do the job. You will never be judged on the basis of your political loyalty or affiliation that is utterly irrelevant. And you certainly will not be judged on your on your uh, compliance with some uh, kind of racial quota you will be uh, you will be welcomed here with your on your ability to do the job and we understand that when we get the job done well, we get the job done well for everyone and particularly for the poor and they benefit the most out of a functional government so so people who are considering a, a career in the public service and who are talented and who are not interested in doing so for personal gain or for access to some kind of tender reward system, but who want to make a difference, there really is only one place that you should work, and that and that is here. Uh, and we just need talented people of all sorts. We need data scientists. Uh, there's some awesome work happening in the city on in data science and how to apply the data that we have uh, from all kinds of sources around the city uh, in new and creative and useful ways. Uh, we need lots of engineers. We need I will say this is, this is one uh, great thing to put out there. We need project managers. Professional project management is, is something that we struggle with. You know, the, even in, uh, even in Cape Town, uh, massive projects, multi-billion rand projects, uh, in infrastructure take too long and they generally run over budget. Mm. You'll be shocked to hear, Gareth, even here <laughs> that happens. And, uh, and so professional project management is a ski, uh, a scarce skill that's in high demand here. Uh, so anyone who, who has a distinct, uh, important skill that wants to posit, uh, positively contribute, come on down to Cape Town and, and, and make that contribution.
1: Okay. I, I've kind of looked at what you guys have done. I say you guys as the DA now in the city of Cape Town and in the Western Cape. And I'm, I look at it from a, from a, the point of view of someone who's in Joburg. And I come to Cape Town often and I'm very impressed where, by a lot of what I see. Um, I, I was kind of disappointed by the way that the premier of the Western Cape handled COVID. I think everybody jumped on the same bandwagon without questioning anything. It seemed that a lot of politicians across the board, all over the world, not just in the Western Cape, seem to have gone with well, if we don't be if we're not seen to be doing something, whether that something happens to be very, very dangerous and 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 uh destructive lockdowns then we will be called part of the problem. And we don't want that. We don't want to be blamed for doing nothing. So we'll make decisions that could cost people their livelihoods, their jobs, very often more than just the cost of the lives, which may or may not have been lost anyway, regardless of the lockdowns. I'm not looking for a miracle here, but do you think politicians, and maybe even in your own party, maybe even you, maybe the Premier of the Western Cape, have looked at the lessons of COVID and maybe... Some have had the humility to say, actually, there are better ways we could have handled this. And with the benefit of hindsight, the next time something like this happens, we shouldn't just follow whatever the UK does or Australia, worse, New Zealand, even worse. And maybe we could look at these things with a little more of a nuanced uh, approach, because it's indisputable at this point that while we lost lives, and that is always unfortunate, that COVID seems to have done more damage to our economy, to society and to, to to people getting back to the the lives that they want to live, um then you know thanks to lockdowns more than more than the virus, um is that something you share an opinion with me on, or is it something that we would we would disagree on?
0: No no no, no, not at all gareth uh, that's that's something that i I mean uh, just to give you an anecdote on Monday night, I had a, at a huge public meeting in Kalitsha in sightsee, and probably about six hundred people turned up. Lots of, uh, you know, good, helpful complaints about the city, stuff we need to improve on. Uh, but I just at some point during the meeting, the topic of of lockdown came up. And I just asked the audience, how many of you lost your jobs during one of the lockdowns during at any point during the last two years, basically? And about a quarter of the audience, Gareth, put up their hand uh, in a room of about 600 mainly poor residents of, of Khayelitsha in Cape Town. And I just made the point to them that, uh, you know, lockdown was one of the most catastrophic policy decisions uh, that well, certainly that I've seen in my lifetime. I can't say in South Africa's history because South Africa has a long history of really mm-hmm. catastrophic policy decisions. Sure. Uh, but, uh, but certainly in the, you know, in living memory. And it'll take us a, a long, long time as a country to recover from the damage and harm that lockdown caused. And if, if ever, in fact. And, uh, one thing that I'm personally proud of is, is just a couple of weeks before lockdown started on the 27th of March, 2020. Mm. I did a press conference at parliament in which I said, uh, alongside John Steenhagen and, and a couple of others that lockdown would be a terrible idea for, for South Africa. Because it wasn't some special insight, by the way, it was northern Italy or most of Italy at that stage was already in lockdown. And so, as you say, we could just look to what was happening there. And I looked at what was happening there and saw that uh, the European Central Bank and the Italian government was just pouring money into the economy to support everyone's wages and, and businesses and that we could never, ever match that kind of financial firepower. But in the absence of that financial firepower, it was very clear to me that it would be a complete catastrophe. You can't just switch off an economy like it's a kettle uh, and and expect nothing to happen. Uh, there there will obviously be devastating consequences. So, I you know I'm with you on uh, the folly, more than folly, the destruction of lockdown, and uh, was was champing at the bit to to get it lifted as soon as possible and uh, to get like uh, city officials to uh, city law enforcement officials to stop enforcing it as quickly as possible. And when when I came in, in in November last year, it seems like a an age ago, but there was still that that terrible red listing that happened in December. And there was, you know, uh, some so there was still some move, restrictions on movement and gatherings and mm-hmm. so on. And, uh, at the time, there was kind of like this proud report that I used to receive on how many lockdown or how many, uh, fines had been issued for breach of, of lockdown regulations. And, and we were able to, within a couple of weeks of, of, uh, of being sworn in, just get all of that nonsense stopped and, and lifted, uh, immediately. But here's where I, I absolutely, uh, defend and, and really celebrates uh the colleagues in the provincial government when there really was massive pressure on the public health system, there was still as far as I can recall and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, only one major field hospital built in South Africa, and that was the one built here at the CTICC in a matter of six weeks. I think uh, right. they had it up and running it was mm-hmm. it was massive. It took all of the overflow. It had all of the supplies of oxygen that were needed. And it was done uh, without any corruption. It was done very quickly. And it and it really saved lots and lots of lives. And I still think, uh, I, I need to check this, so forgive me if, if this is mistaken. I still think it was the only major field hospital built in the country. I know that there mm-hmm. were a couple up north built by mining companies, but none, none that I can recall that were built by the state. So you know, if lockdown was posited as a as a way of getting ready for this massive pressure for the on the health system, well, that never happened in South Africa, except here uh, because and, we actually did the, the extra capacity.
1: And we're in the same position now. If if another pandemic were to strike us, we are no better prepared than we were the last time. There are no more hospitals. There are no extra beds. Yeah. You know, we're we're in exactly the same position. But I do agree with you that that you know. The, the Western Cape government seems to have done a better job than others. But I do remember the premier being quite pro-lockdown for a little while there, which upset and uh, and and just enchanted me, if not a bunch of other people too. Last thing, Jordan, you know, we seem to have this mentality in South Africa that if one place is doing well, that the other places must be doing badly. You know, the cake is only so big and that the slices of the cake need to be made infinitely smaller and smaller and smaller until everybody has the, uh, the minutest yes. crumb to live on for a year, whereas I think there are people who've started to understand that we can make the whole cake bigger, the whole thing can grow. We can create more opportunity for everybody, but we've got to make some tough decisions. Do you often find in your discussions with residents, uh, with other parties, with your adversaries, with your with your your own um, colleagues, that we're we're getting to a point where we're understanding this idea that that we can we can make it bigger and better, and we don't have to take from each other? in order to create some, some better life for the average South African. Uh, because Cape Town's success is everyone's success. And I don't see how Joburg, even though I don't live in Cape Town, doesn't benefit from a Cape Town that's doing well.
0: Yeah, yeah. are no, absolutely right. I hope that we are getting closer to that point. I, th- I think evidence for it is still scarce, I'm afraid to say. I think the the because of the slow uh, retreat and uh, uh, deterioration of the national economy there is even more pressure for greater social spending which obviously comes at the expense of of investment spending and infrastructure spending in government budgets uh, because while you can grow the cake of the entire national economy for everyone when it comes to an individual government budget it is zero sum you've got to do more of something and less of something else uh, or you, or you've got to go and ask the the the, the public to pay higher taxes which is also not affordable in, in South Africa. So I still see huge every day huge pressure from the public for more social spending and uh, and really what what they are asking for is for working governments to make up for the pressure of a failing national economy that is just uh, putting more and more families under pressure making it harder to find work and uh, and put driving more people into poverty. And so we keep on making the argument for investment spending. Of course, that that if we if we get the investments right to support the growth of the city, that means a bigger cake, a better future for for everyone. Uh, but what would really help? What would really if, what we need is a demonstration effect. What would really help is if we could actually grow the national economy and show people what a growing cake looks like, and how mm-hmm. that eases pressure and uh, and absorbs some of that social pressure. But we don't have that, and we haven't had it for years. And so, there, whether it be in crime or, or the number of people applying for indigency support in our city, uh, there is just massive social pressure that is a is is a direct consequence. Whether it be homelessness, we haven't discussed, but you can see that visibly on the on the streets yeah. of Cape Town. Just all symptoms of a of a of a national economy that is really not able to, and it hasn't been for a while, to absorb any of this pressure because it isn't growing. And I always use the analogy, uh, you know, when you put one of those really dry sponges into a into a bowl of water, and it just absorbs that water instantaneously. That is what a growing economy is like. It it can absorb all of that social pressure very quickly, actually, and uh, and we just don't have that here.
1: All right. Well, I've only ever had one phone stolen, and it was stolen in Cape Town. I won't hold that against you. Um, <laughs> I've I've also seen the very best of Cape Town, and I've I've seen some of the ugliness of Cape Town. You, you guys have gangsterism, uh, the likes of which I think you know there are countries in the world that think they're tough, but I think a gangster from Cape Town is probably one of the toughest kind of people you'll find anywhere in the world. And you've got those challenges to deal with too. We don't have all the time that I might have liked, and you don't have all the time this morning to be able to go into everything here but what i love is that you're you're kind of you're not particularly emotional i'm not saying you're cold and, and uh, dispassionate about this but you're not emotional you you seem to have uh, an idea of what the job entails what's required of you um and and you're not out there trying to You know, do the hearts and minds nonsense and the, and the shaking of hands and the posing for photographs that so many politicians do. Please keep that up because I think it's sickening when these politicians behave like that. And I know I'm not the only one. We, we see increasing voter apathy going on in South Africa. I I think maybe in the Western Cape, it's less apathetic because people, um, are more invested. Maybe a lot less people have given up. Um, but but what is the shittiest part of your job? What is the one thing that you really wish you didn 't have to do
0: that 's a good question uh, <laughs> look i think the there's an enormous number of of meetings i 'm not i 'm not a great fan of of long detailed uh mm-hmm administrative meetings i love policy meetings i love policy debates and discussions and and rolling up my sleeves and getting into the detail of of economic policy and and how it impacts on the city but the the bureaucratic stuff and the administrative stuff really uh really does get one down i do enjoy being out uh, meeting people and and seeing problems firsthand uh and probably the most intractable really complex problem that i have to deal with in the city that is that you know it's not immediately clear what all of the solutions are uh in load shedding i I kind of i have a very clear path of what the solution is and i can just keep driving you know relentless pressure to on that path but but homelessness is a really really complex wicked problem to try and resolve and and that's taking that's taking longer than i would like um and uh, and so i've just got to keep i've just got to keep uh, burrowing away at it, ploughing that furrow, so to speak, and, and and hoping to see some some improvement in the months ahead. Uh,
1: last quick thing that I've just thought of: is there a mayor somewhere in the world, or even in you know recent history, who you who you look to as a kind of exemplary uh, idea of what of what you'd like to be compared to? Is this you can look up to? Because in every job, we all have someone who we think, well, that's the kind of person I'd like to emulate.
0: That's a great question. Actually, I haven't, I haven't uh, followed a great number of mayors around the world, to be honest. But I grew up, I mean, you said at the beginning, I'm, I'm 35. I, I grew up in the age of, uh, kind of Clinton and Blair and Cameron. Uh, and so, you know, I was really and remain uh, still extremely impressed with, uh, with Clinton's ability to uh, communicate very complex, uh, economic ideas, growth ideas in really compelling and, and simple ways that everyone could understand. Uh, I, I'm, I'm impressed with how Tony Blair, I was very impressed as, as a teenager with how Tony Blair was able to take a completely unelectable party that was stuck in the seventies and, and to revolutionize it, modernize it, make it uh, make it electable again and, and, and win. Uh, so the, the, there are definitely politicians that, that I admire, uh, and, and for different reasons, not because I agree with everything that they, that they, uh, that they stood for, but I agreed or, or, or was admiring of some aspect of their career. And, um, but I haven't, I should probably spend some more time studying some, some mayors around the world. I, I haven't done, I haven't done a great deal of that. I, 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 I I tend to focus quite a lot on on American politics which which I'm quite a yeah. big fan of.
1: Well, yeah, and there's lots that we could talk about there, but we're out of time for today. I don't want to keep you from all of those um administrative meetings <laughs> with the bureaucrats. But Jordan, thank you so much for your time this morning. I'm delighted to speak. <laughs> and uh and and, and thank keep you on very much, you know, keep on keeping on and I hope also that you um you aren't dissuaded by so much of the noise in the media and on Twitter. Because actually, um, the, the people really don't care about that stuff. They want service delivery. And the only way that, uh, you know, a mayor is successful is if you don't hear from them and you don't have to call them.
0: There you go. Thank you very much, Make Gareth. I really appreciated yeah. this. You have a, you have a huge platform and I, and I'm grateful for the invitation to join you on it.
1: No, what a pleasure and great to have you on. And I hope we'll see you again soon.
0: Cliffcentral.com.